Blog Talk Radio. August 5th, 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I want to just say hello to everyone here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio. I see people are starting to add themselves in. Sometimes people have to refresh at the very beginning of the live show at some little glitch of blog talk. So in order to hear me, sometimes people are uh, kind of going in and out of the chat room as they're refreshing. I think I saw Tim Peck in there and then, oh, there he's back. Okay. Uh, Roger Williams, Herman the German. We have a guest or two, Corey, Cobra, uh, Chris LW, Arjun. Um, Did Roger just join? I'm starting not being able to keep track here. Anyway, welcome. I did see, yeah, there's just Jean. Okay, I saw her earlier as well. So thank you for joining me here live for the show on a Friday afternoon. Uh, If you, during this show, hear me like scream out in sudden pain, it could be due to a back spasm. Um, Your host is a woman who sometimes likes to take on competitive physical challenges and a friend on Facebook essentially challenged me to see who could hold the plank position the longest. And so of course I had to do it. I mean, I had to. And so I did it and I beat him of course, because of course women are inherently superior. Oh, people are asking, where's my scotch? I'm not going to drink scotch in the afternoon first of all. And then second of all, Corey, what is my reason for drinking scotch? Would, would the scotch help my back? I guess it would help my back. Oh, pain management. Yes, yes. Uh, Herman says, I hate the plank. Uh, very effective, though. Uh, you know, again, I think I did it correctly. Uh, I was very careful to try to sit there and do my form. But I beat this guy's, like, all-time record easily. So there must be something wrong. Or maybe he's just wimpier. I, I don't know. Or I could have done something that hurt my back. But as far as I know... It's been, I think, a couple hours at least since I did this plank thing, and I was stretching out before the show and everything. I think, I think I'm good. Just Jean, yay, woman power here in the chat room says, yeah, Amy, good job. Uh, you know, there are certain things, things that have to do with just kind of holding up your own body weight. If you're a woman and you're lighter, you can be very competitive. Uh, similarly, with crew, you know, rowing in a boat for crew. I was on the novice lightweight crew team in college for a year and I'm pretty small. Um, at the time I was quite a bit bigger though. I had like 15, 15 pounds extra of muscle, something like that. 15 pounds over what I have now, just solid muscle, but still very light 
in the the scale of, of people who row. And, but you know, all it is is pulling your own weight, right? So if it's just pulling your own weight, you can be very competitive. But then for example, this guy comes in and he says he does like 1700 some odd pounds of leg press or something. It's like, I have absolutely no desire to have huge muscles in my legs with, you know, all of that entails. And of course, you know, again, any of these things that you do, you do have a chance of, of hurting your back. So you have to be careful. Uh, but my, my kind of sad story about being very competitive in that way was when I first went to go teach at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. They took all the faculty around for an orientation. And part of the orientation was that they walked you around the basic training course, the physical training course that they put the cadets through, right, with all the obstacles and you pull up and you climb on this and you do that, right, uh, run under this. And, and there were a few of the obstacles that they said, if you want to go ahead and climb and do this thing, you can do it. Stupid me. Here I am. Oh, yeah, got to do it. Got to go do it. And so I'm climbing on a few of these and pulling myself up and doing the rope thing or whatever, all of this stuff that have, you know, has to do with, again, kind of pulling up your own body weight. Oh, I'm so tough. I can do this. And between that and the fact that I had recently moved and I had carried all these boxes around and lugged empty boxes to the curb, to the trash and done all this stuff. And another thing that I did at the time, there's something called Manitou Incline in Colorado Springs. And it's a very steep little hike walk that you can do about a mile, but then it's a really steep grade. So I did that all within maybe a two or three week stretch. I did these obstacle courses at the basic training. I did the, a lot of the lifting and kind of, you know, shuffling empty boxes around for moving. And then the Manitou incline and lo and behold, 3 AM one morning, it was like this sudden violent herniation of one of the discs in my pack, right? So this is a real thing. It's cool to be competitive, and I love being competitive, but I do have to be careful. I think I did okay today. So, um, yeah, people are saying I'm going to the gym here in, the, in an hour, by the way. Thanks for the motivation. Uh, on uh, Recently what I've been doing is I've been challenging myself to meet the Nazi goal that is imposed upon me by my Apple watch. You know, every day the Apple watch tells you, you must exercise 30 minutes. There's other goals that you can change with the Apple watch. The one that you can change, I guess, is the number of calories or something that you think you're going to burn. But, um, you know, the, the move goal of 30 minutes of 30 minutes of exercise, and then also uh, 12 hours worth of standing. You're not allowed to program out of that. The watch doesn't let you. So I've been trying to, at least on five days a week, get the 30 minutes out of the way, like before 9 a.m. And I've been doing it for three weeks now. So that's pretty cool. Uh, people say I use my fitness pal app. I just use the one that's on the, um, you know, the Apple watch. Now Arjun in the chat room says, I just joined the gym this month, but haven't gotten around to going yet. That is not the usual way to do it. Usually you join, you go right away, you go for a few times, and then you go never again. But you just joined, what, a few days ago, so this month, yeah, maybe it's not so late. But that'll be interesting. Anyway, go go do it. Convenience store people are talking about. Oh, keep track of your food and alcohol. Oh, God. Um, 
people are saying inspiration. Well, if, if it's inspiring, that's great. For me, I've been uh, showing my friends, you know, that I've been doing this. And so that's for accountability. But some of my friends also say that they're being inspired by it. And that's good. The, you know, the habit science, the science of creating habits says that it takes somewhere between, I think, 30 and maybe 90 days to create a new habit. You guys in the chat room who know this, you can remind me. But everyone always thinks, oh, it's 30 days to create a habit. And it's not always just that. And I'm having the experience where I would say right now, on some days, there's a little bit of willpower involved in getting myself out to do this, but not very much. And if I haven't done it yet, you know how there's... um, I love David Allen used to talk about it this way. He, he talked about the scuzz factor. So you always brush your teeth because otherwise you just would feel gross. And I have a little bit of a scuzz factor if I don't get my workout done. So there is that. Yeah, I've been doing it for three weeks. I don't know. I don't know what the, the habit is. Herman in the chat room is saying, yeah, how long have you been doing it? Yeah, just three weeks. I mean, I've been, you know, exercising longer than that, obviously, but there's no way I could have beaten my friend on the plank if I hadn't. But in terms of being disciplined about getting it out of the way early, and in California recently, if you don't get it out of the way early, you're not going to be inclined to do it later in the day, especially if it involves going outdoors because it's been really hot. So you just really want, oh, three weeks. Herman says it might be just three weeks. Well, if it's three weeks, I've got the habit established. It should be absolutely no effort on Monday when I start over again, right? That's what we'll see. Anyway, that was my long diversion. But if you would like to actually hear what we're going to talk about on this show today, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Of course, you're welcome to call in and talk about any fitness struggles you have as well. I actually have somebody who wants to to talk here in the queue. What you do is you call in 760-888-5817-760-888-5817 if you want to talk about any of the things I've got lined up in the program notes today. The main topic that I want to get to today, though, is Gary Johnson. And there's been a couple things that I have watched in the past week that are allowing me to form a bit more of an opinion about Johnson and Weld and, and their candidacy together. One is the you know, Reason Magazine had a Facebook Live interview that they did with just Gary Johnson. And they did that during the Democratic Convention. I just got a chance to watch that earlier this week. So thanks to Rob Avera for sending that to me. And then second, I watched the second town hall that CNN hosted the other night. And that had, of course, both Johnson and Weld at this town hall. And they asked him a bunch of questions. So I'll give you my take on that as well. And I, of course, want to hear yours. So, again, you can call 760 760- 888-5817 if you want to do that. If you go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com and you look at the program notes, you see the first link is something called a news sandwich. And those of you who haven't followed me very long, you don't really know about news sandwich, but news sandwich is my awesome idea that really needs to be executed at, uh, more consistently at some point. But what the concept is for news sandwich is that you're going to sandwich a piece of bad news in between two pieces of good news. That's the format of a, of a news sandwich. And so overall, the, the concept is, is that in order to make the news of the day more palatable, you aren't going to 
ignore it. You're not going to pretend it's better than it is, but you are going to choose to focus on good news items in addition to the bad news items so that you don't just get completely depressed and give up on the world and your life and and everything else, right? Because news can be damn depressing. I was going to say F something, but I'm not there yet. So um, this was kind of my foray back into news sandwich this week. It's actually a quite a long and ponderous piece. It's really maybe not an appropriate news sandwich, but I wanted to write, I really do want to resurrect news sandwich. So I went ahead and tried to write my little evaluation of Johnson Weld and my pitch for people to consider Johnson Weld, which is where I'm at. I'm pretty positive on them, but I'm not convinced that they're going to keep my enthusiasm all the way up into November enough that I'm going to want to go to the polls. You know, again, those who have listened to my show pretty much know my take. And especially if you listen to the last couple of weeks where I was analyzing Trump and Hillary's speeches, I'm not voting for either of those two. And I'm certainly not going to vote for Jill Stein, right? Uh, She's got cute hair. I saw a picture of her. I didn't even know anything about her. I saw it. I was like, oh, cute hair. And she lets it go natural like I do. So that's pretty cool. Um, But no, I'm not voting for her. And uh, But Johnson Wells, I might vote for them. I may indeed vote for them. And I kind of lay out the reasons. And in that news sandwich, I particularly focus on those people who would vote for Trump out of fear for bad things, fear of bad things. And, you know, they're, they're convinced that Trump is going to cure the country and the world of some horribles. Maybe people are changing their minds as they go on about this. I saw a headline about Trump today where he's speaking really irresponsibly about the use of nuclear weapons in Europe. You're just going to drop some nuclear weapons in Europe? This is ridiculous. Uh, This guy does not know what he's talking about. A lot of people would say, well, Johnson Weld, go to the extreme, the other side, that they would not use nuclear weapons at all. And I don't think that's the case, actually, with Johnson Weld. I don't think that they take that off the table. I actually think I remember hearing a comment where they say you don't take anything completely off the table. Um, but yeah, we want to, I want to get into some of these things about them, the things particularly with respect to immigration and foreign policy. People are very scared about both of those issues with respect to Johnson Weld. And I, I don't think that that's really justified, particularly compared to Trump and Clinton. So you can check out that new sandwich if you like. As I said, when new sandwich uh, ends up being resurrected, which I think I want to try to do soon, the typical new sandwich is going to be a little shorter and punchier and is going to have different items. But occasionally I'll do an analysis and I'll say, okay, well, here's something good. Here's something bad about this. And here's, again, finishing up with the, the better news about it. So I do have that sort of sandwich format. But like I said, it's sort of a long and ponderous post. I do hope it's of value, though, for people. So that's what I have lined up. And given that I do have someone in the queue for a call, I'm going to go ahead and take it and see maybe this uh, person wants to talk about Johnson. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, how you doing? It's uh, Bobby in Los Angeles. I think you're a first-time caller. Is that right? Uh, I called your program a long time ago. I actually tried to be a guest on your program. You may not remember me, but I think it didn't work. Uh, you're probably not interested at that time. Um, so I've called before, but it's been a long time. Okay, so did you want to talk about Johnson Weld? 
Um, I, I wanted to talk about Trump and Republicans. Is that okay, or does it have to stay on Johnson? You want to talk about Trump and Republicans? Yes. So what? Yeah, what in particular? Yeah, what in particular about them? Okay, so here's what I don't get. So under Bush's presidency, um, you know, they gave billions of dollars to Pakistan, and Pakistan, in my opinion, um, was one of the most extremist nations out there. I've always thought they were bigger than Iran and other countries. Um, before I continue, is that a, would you agree with that or what? That we shouldn't be giving money to Pakistan? I mean, that and that they were an extremist nation. I mean, to the extent that I think that they were probably harboring Osama bin Laden, probably. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm right, not, right. I'm not, a, I'm not an, an expert, but that would be the data point that I would connect. Right. So what, what I wanted to say was this: I'm just trying to understand some consistency for Trump fans. If if Republicans are giving so much money to a, a nation like Pakistan, which takes some of that money and uses it for Islamic terrorism, and probably also uses it to fight against India, and we believe in democracy and India is a democratic country, and if, right. were, if if Republicans were friendly, friendly with Saudi Arabia, you know, there's pictures of Bush being so friendly with Saudi Arabia, and I think they got along with Saudi Arabia. And, oh, you know, yeah. I think Bush even had that one line about, what did you say, looking into the eyes of the soul of the Russian leader, Vladimir Putin? He seemed to have an okay opinion of uh, him. And under right. his presidency, the leader of Iran, the leader of Iran came to Columbia University under Bush's presidency. And then, of course, there's the Iraq War, which I was against. I don't know if you were against that or not. But I, I was oh, yeah, no, I was, I was against the Iraq War as well. I didn't really see yeah. a point for that one versus, so, you know, Afghanistan so, where the Taliban was, right? So my, my, my point is you know, when, Republic, when Bush does these things and there are many Republicans who still support him as a president, say he's a good president, he's a great president, I support the Republican Party and I support him, even after all those things, I, I, my question is this, what right do – not all Republicans, but what, what right do so many Republicans have to criticize the left on the war on terror when Bush did these things on the war on terror? In other to criticize – oh, the left on the war on terror. So so how can they be criticizing the left? Yeah, you know, it is, I think, a, a bit hypocritical, right, because I don't know that Bush's policies, in at least in terms of, of effect and sometimes in terms of, you know, the actual allegiance that he had, for instance, to Saudi Arabia, certainly not that mm-hmm. much better, right? Um, mm-hmm. There is, there is, though – at least in my mind, in terms of the left, there's more of a nihilistic character. So, for example, you say, okay, you give money to Pakistan. And, and, you know, I've heard Ambassador John Bolton talk about it in very practical terms, in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, pragmatically trying to control what they do with nuclear weapons. And then there's elements in Pakistan that you can actually deal with and the whatever. But here we are, Mm -hmm. you know, we we got front page news today, Iran going around gloating that they're taking all this money, this ransom money to release prisoners that were part of this nuclear deal. I, I just think that the mm-hmm. the payoffs and the deals and the stuff that the Democrats are doing is at least quantitatively substantially more damaging to United States than so, what, um, you know, and then also you don't hear the anti-American criticism as much from someone like George W. Bush. Actually, I don't know if you ever hear it from George W. Bush, uh, but you do hear it from Obama and, you know, Hillary Clinton and, and those people. So I, there, there is a difference, but I, I understand. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a lot of Republicans are very consistent. And as Johnson has pointed out, you know, that, that 
these interventions, right, you know, which go back to Bush, these interventions mm-hmm. that we've done in the, in the Middle East, they actually go back further than that. Uh, they mm-hmm. don't help us. They don't make the world safer, right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, Obama and, and, you know, Clinton with Obama have done a couple of particularly horrific interventions when you look at Syria and Libya and the consequences of the weapons going to ISIS and everything. But this has been going on for a long time under Republicans as well. Sure. So, no, I so mean, I, why, I agree. Yeah, that's, what, that's why when I called in, I didn't want to just make it about Pakistan. You know, you can go Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, the lead of the Iraq war, uh, Iran leader coming to Columbia University under President Bush's watch, right. and his opinion on Russia's leader. Uh, he look, what did he say? He looked into the eyes of the soul, the Russian leader. So when he's, when he's giving money to Pakistan and doing all these things, it's not just one thing. He's doing some really bad things with really evil governments and really bad people, Islamic terrorists. He's like, yeah, I mean, you know, this, this idea and, that you can just, quote, deal with anybody, too. I mean, Trump is also, as, as far as I know, of a mind that you could sit down with Iran, you know, and make a deal. And he admires Putin and all, all this well, kind of I, stuff. I, so just, just for the record, I don't necessarily say it's wrong or right to deal. I think it depends on the country and the circumstance. But what I'm trying to say is if I, I gave Pakistan as one example, and again, I don't want to focus on them. But, for example, if he is friendly with Saudi Arabia, and we know what they do in Saudi Arabia with minorities and those who disagree, if he is friendly with Pakistan, or not friendly, but if he's giving them money, Pakistan may not come out and openly say, yeah, uh, we're giving it to terrorists. But if it's understood that some of that money goes to terrorists, the same people that they're Well, America or, it, or it, hap- it happens indirectly, right, because they're able to use some of that money to pay hmm. for needs that they would have had to pay for with other money, and now that money's free up and they can go, you know. So, sure, so it, sure. It, it, or, it certainly or, or, increases. So, so can, sure, you, can, or, you get, can you get to your point, though? It's not that I'm necessarily okay, disagreeing, sure. but I just wanted to get to the point of Johnson <clears> Well, because that's where I want to evaluate today. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize. And I, I didn't want to mess up your program. I didn't really have an opinion on that. It was just that on Trump and Republicans, I just wanted people to be consistent. If they're going to support a Republican Party that does these horrible things, I don't know what right that some of them, not all, but some, some, some of them have to criticize the left on the war on terror, um, even when it comes to Trump. Um, you know, he, this was a guy... I mean, can I talk about Trump, or do you want to go back to Johnson? I don't know if that's okay. Well, I do, I do want to get to Johnson really quick, but that's, that's your basic point is that you see Republicans as being hypocritical when they're so incredibly critical of the left on foreign policy. Yeah, I, believe, when, I, believe, you know, I believe in consistency. Yeah, be consistent. Right. If you genuinely feel the left is not good on the war on terror, I'm not saying you're wrong or right, but be consistent. Don't say, I love the Republicans, I love Bush. And then you're criticizing the left for doing some of the things that are just as bad or Republicans have done maybe worse. In some no, ways. I, I, I definitely, definitely agree with you. Mm-hmm. So, um, Bobby, I do thank you or I can't remember Bob or Bobby. Um, I do thank you for your call. I'm going to just go ahead and, and move on a bit now. The one thing I did want to say is of Republicans, the one who is different from this or I think would be different from this if we gave him a chance to be president is Ted Cruz. And um, with Ted Cruz, you have someone who isn't necessarily pro-intervention either, right? And, and one thing I want to talk about Johnson and is he, they don't talk about themselves, Johnson and Weld don't talk about themselves as isolationists, as some libertarians are, right? Some libertarians are isolationists. They describe themselves as non-interventionists. And I've heard Johnson 
use the standard in terms of intervention, would the intervention that's being contemplated make United States and the world safer? Would the intervention make United States and the world safer? If it's not actually going to make the world a safer place, why in the world are you doing it, right? Uh, Why would you want to make things worse? And that's what's happened with some of the interventions. I would say that Cruz, based on what I know of his foreign policy, would agree with a lot of that. He is someone who doesn't advocate the nation building. It's all about eliminating threats to United States and, and perhaps close allies as well, right? That that would be a legitimate military interest of ours, for example, to help Israel. But, you know, again, I think that Ted Cruz had a very measured foreign policy as compared to most Republicans. Why did, why did Bush go to Iraq and think that that was a good thing for us to do? Did it probably make things worse? Yeah, I think so. Is Johnson probably right that whether we get out of Afghanistan now or 20 or 40 years from now, that the same bad things are in danger of happening. So then the only question is if people say we should stay there, so you say, okay, you should stay there forever because basically it's going to be the same uh, bad consequences. So I do look, you know, if Republicans, uh, those who are consistent, I think would be supporting a cruise ticket, which is what I did. You know, I was in favor of cruise until he dropped out of the race. And that's why I did drink scotch. One tiny shot of scotch just before one of my shows was when he pulled out of the race, it was a send off for him. But given that he's not, what we've got in front of us is we've got the choice of either Trump or Hillary, and you've got Johnson Weld as a third alternative. And, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen how viable this alternative is it seems that they're getting more attention i'm hoping that they get a boost thanks to the town hall that they did with cnn the other night and i thought that they performed pretty well there so that they did deserve at least that 15 percent that they need to get into the debates that's the real hurdle and they even acknowledge right johnson says that and you know his logic actually doesn't quite follow here but this is what he says he says that he had seen statistics that show that the first presidential debate is going to have higher ratings, I think he said, than the Super Bowl. And so that he believes that if they're not in the presidential debate, then therefore you can't win the election. And I don't know that that's necessarily true, but maybe you could say, okay, it's effectively true. But the mere fact that a particular debate, the first debate, is going to have high ratings. I mean, it might be that the first debate has high ratings. Johnson and Weld are not in the debates. They're conspicuously not in the debates. And everybody watches the debates and gets really disgustingly sick and throws their dinner up on their televisions and decides they don't want anything to do with those two after the first debate. And they don't even care who's in the debates or what the debates are. By the way, did someone see, you guys can tell me in the chat room if you saw this too, I saw little hints that Trump is already complaining about the debates. Like he somehow I think wants to just become president without having to go through a debate with Hillary Clinton, which is so revulsifying, but everything about him is indeed so revulsifying. So let me know if you have heard that as well, that he's making noise about this. Um, now let's see we're talking about here oh talking about Facebook and pages and things like that in the chat room Um, 
Okay, someone. Oh, someone's here in the chat. Blah fifty one is asking about the program. What's the schedule for this program? We are on Fridays, three p.m. Eastern time for about ninety minutes, and there actually is going to be an expansion of the show soon, which I'll get to announce pretty soon, I think. Uh, those of you who are show supporters, if you want to become a show supporter, go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com. You will be receiving an email pretty soon hearing about the exciting news. So, yeah, we are once a week currently, but I do think we are going to be expanding quite soon. Yeah, just Gene said, yeah, uh, there is some kind of complaint about the debates. Yeah, same old, same old, right? He doesn't want to debate. He knows he's got basically no ideas and that Hillary will out-debate him as pathetic as she is. So we'll see how that goes. Um, so let's, let's go to Johnson Weld, right? I have this news sandwich, and I, I talk about the fact that if I was going to write a book about the election this year, that I would call it fear and loathing. And, you, and you've heard the phrase fear and loathing, but that's what occurred to me, because there are people who will vote enthusiastically for Trump due to their fear, namely of the consequences of immigration and also of Islamic terrorism. And that's going to motivate them because they think that Trump has policies or he's going to implement policies that will address those issues. Then the other thing uh, is the loathing, right? And who's the loathing candidate? That's Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton will effectively continue and extend, expand upon the nihilistic, the egalitarian nihilistic policies of Barack Obama. And while people will pretend otherwise, I think if you are actually enthusiastically for that, right, some people are voting for Hillary just to be anti-Trump, and I think that's a whole different animal, right? So let me be clear about that. But if you're actually enthusiastically voting for Hillary Clinton because of the policies, you could pretend that you're doing it because you love your fellow man, but you don't. You think your fellow man owes you a duty and you resent your fellow man. You envy them, hence the loathing, right? So what do I do in my post, right? If you can imagine to whom do I want to write and convince them to maybe consider Johnson Weld, it's going to be the fear people. And the way that I put it is that I'm hoping that if people, you know, read my post and they think about these issues, that they will, quote, feel the fear and vote Johnson Weld anyway, or at least consider voting for Johnson Weld, even though they feel the fear. Why? Because they'll realize that Trump, first of all, the consequences from him are maybe even more frightening. But second, the policies that he is proposing to deal with any of this stuff aren't either justified or, or won't be effective, right? So uh, two issues, two issues. One of them that I wanted to talk about is this issue of immigration. And, you know, people always throw around this term open immigration. One thing that Johnson wisely explicitly does is repudiate that term open immigration. He says, no, that is not his policy. He does want to make it easier for people to come and work in the United States. And he cited, and I, I put a link to the post in this news sandwich, there's a post that was put out by the Wharton School of Business, and it ends up summarizing different studies about the effect of immigration on the economy. And one of the things they particularly look at is the effect on the wages of native-born Americans of immigration. And when you look at the effect over decades, 
of immigration on the wages of native-born Americans, the effect is mildly positive. That means the wages of native-born Americans have either gone up a little bit or gone up substantially due to immigration. And this makes sense because if there are more people here, if they're actually working, they're contributing to the job pool, which actually they mostly do, statistically speaking. Yes, you hear horror stories. But mostly when people are coming here, they're coming here to work. And if they do that, if they contribute to the economy and they also need food, clothing, and shelter and entertainment and all these other things, then they increase demand for those things. And then, of course, there's an increase in demand as well. So it would make sense that that happens, but it actually does. And I think that they said something like people who are not Native-born, sometimes their wages end up going down a bit with increased immigration, but the Native-born people, they still end up. So there's, I guess there's some discrimination against non-Native-born people in, in selecting and hiring and you know, wage limit, uh, wage levels and all that kind of stuff. So there's that, right? So you shouldn't be concerned about immigration if your concern is competition for jobs, that your wages are going to be lowered and all this kind of stuff. It just doesn't play out, statistically speaking, according to Wharton. And Johnson cited this study when he was talking to Reason Magazine. And so this is something that impressed me about Johnson during that interview is that he was citing these news articles that I hadn't heard of. And I was interested in going to go and check out. That was one of the ones that he cited. Um, I want to draw a distinction, right? If you think, well, maybe you want to vote for Hillary Clinton out of a protest vote for Trump or whatever, Hillary Clinton promised explicitly a path to citizenship, a path to citizenship. And this is not what Johnson's talking about. Johnson is talking about making it easy for people to come here and work. This is what Yaron Brook has talked about a lot on his show, the idea of you know, letting people come here and work. That doesn't mean that you're going to make them necessarily citizens who vote, that that's going. Um, there's a, a person named Blah51 in the chat room who is using big, bold-faced type and you know, kind of contrast to everybody else. If you could just use regular, that would be really nice. Um, and also changing the topic there, but yeah, uh, maybe go ahead and stick on this. Now people are talking about, um, protest votes and everything else. They're talking about India. Okay. Um, anyway, so, so that's the one thing, the immigration issue, right? That, that he's not talking about a path to citizenship. He's talking about work. And also, importantly, when he, was, he wants to bring them here, he wants to do background checks, right? So it's not open immigration. There will be background checks, and he lists criteria, the rational criteria that we all have, which is the propensity to do harm if you're a criminal or somebody you know who's got terrorist links, et cetera, uh, some sort of a horrible contagious disease of the type that is, you know, that would justify keeping somebody out of the country, that sort of thing, right? So there are background checks. Um, and like I said, only permission to work is what he's talking about. That can only help our economy. Then the second thing to, to worry about, of course, with immigration, and then also as a separate issue, to worry about foreign policy and even the policy on domestic terrorism Johnson and Weld, I think, are good on this issue. There are people who they're so worried about it, they think, okay, just close everything off. 
and forget, you know, we don't want to let anybody in this country. But, you know, again, they're talking about background checks. They are um, also talking about if you listen to the town hall, Weld has experience with Department of Justice. And I believe it was Department of Justice under Reagan, if I recall correctly. And he had said that something that they did was, and it's funny because it's related to some news that we have this week, but he talked about they put together a task force of, I believe, FBI, an FBI task force focused solely on mafia, right? And, you know, this was a big thing at the time. And they were able to share intelligence and concentrate all this talent and knowledge and everything else within this intensive task force. And he was saying we should use a similar strategy with respect to terrorism. And one thing that they talked about, you know, specifically in that town hall, they said, look, yes, that was extra money, but you do some sort of an extra, you know, dispensation of, of funds in order to get this job done, this is a threat to Americans and it has to be taken care of. But they think, you know, and they talked about signals intelligence and things like that, that you could do. I imagine signals intelligence, they mean grabbing whatever's coming over from the Middle East to direct people here to commit terrorist acts and things like that. You know, on, on privacy, these guys are awesome, right? They, they believe that you should get a search warrant before you collect all of this data on American citizens that we need to get warrants for this. I think they would agree with me about this third party doctrine stuff that I've been talking about for years. Um, so yeah, they would, they think that this is a, a significant threat, the threat of domestic terrorism. They don't, for example, though say, Oh yeah, let's just ban assault rifles or let's just ban everybody coming in. What they want to do is they want to improve the intelligence operations. And they cited specifically the scumbag from Orlando who had been interviewed by FBI either two or three times. Weld had said two and Johnson said three. And I think three is what I remember as well. Uh, how is it that the FBI can do a catch and release on this guy three times? And then apparently what they ended up doing is then taking him off the list of watching anyway, because they didn't have anything definitive on him. So they didn't watch him anymore. This is ridiculous. Oh, are we having trouble here? Okay, here. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I guess he's gone already? Hmm. Okay. Well, the guy Blah was in the chat room, and I guess he left. Um, yeah, so back where I was. Where was I again, guys? Oh, yeah. So uh, on FBI, right? So they they say, look, we can do this better. We can do what we can to prevent these things. But, you know, when somebody is going to commit terrorist acts by means of a truck or a knife, you can't do anything. They don't believe, for example, in banning AR-15s or so-called semi-automatic assault rifles of that class. So all of that is, um, you know, is, is a strategy that they wouldn't pursue. What they would pursue is an intelligence task force, a, a dedicated tax, task force to do this. So I, I was uh, heartened by that. And then let's talk about foreign policy, right? Uh, they do say that they would continue to go after and try to destroy ISIS, that that would have to be done. They admit that would have to be done. So it's not like they say, okay, we're isolationists. We're just going to let ISIS do whatever it is. 
they say, no, no, we would have to continue that. And, um, you know, but otherwise, though, in terms of those interventions, right, I think he's right. Johnson's right that if you go to Libya and Syria and you arm the opposition and then when the opposition falls, the weapons end up in the hands of ISIS, this is a bad outcome. So when when you're going to intervene, you have to really, really think about it, whether it is something that's necessary for the safety of the United States and our allies in the world or whether it's something that if you do this, there's a significant risk of making things worse, as they have been under Hillary Clinton. Uh, so, again, they, they are not isolationists. They say that. Instead, they say that they're non-interventionists. Um, with the risk from terrorism right now, it, it, I mean, the, the attacks are horrific, and they do want to do things appropriate to addressing that risk. And I, I think that they are, you know, they realize it's very important. Johnson says he would make a priority very first thing when he becomes president to call a meeting with the FBI and try to find out how did that happen in Orlando? Right now he couldn't do that because he's just a candidate. He doesn't have access to the information, but as president, he'd be able to call the meeting and get on that. And I, you know, I, again, I think he's a good guy. I've talked about in the past. He seems like a good guy. I cannot believe, as I say in the, in the blog post, I cannot believe that somebody of his character, his accomplishments, who seems just like a good, caring person, would want to leave us utterly poor and defenseless, you know, by flooding our nation with immigrants who are going to make us poor or defenseless because they're not going to do their job protecting the American people. Weld in particular, like I said, he's got a specific strategy that from experience he thinks will work to address that risk of domestic terrorism and they're willing to throw dedicated money at it to create this task force. So I don't think that those are legitimate worries about these guys. There are some legitimate worries about these guys though, right? They are not consistent. They are not philosophically inclined necessarily, right? They're more pragmatic, but they're nice pragmatists, right? And then they're, they're well-meaning pragmatists and they're pragmatists who lean towards freedom and liberty, which is a lot more than you can say uh, towards Trump, which is, I mean, I'd say he's a pragmatist that leans towards being a demagogue. Hillary Clinton is not a pragmatist, unfortunately. She's the egalitarian nihilist type. But, you know, what has Johnson said? Johnson has said that he is in favor of keeping anti-discrimination laws that would, if they're consistently applied, force the Jewish bakers to bake a Nazi cake, assuming that ever came up, right? Nazis go into the Jewish bakery and say, bake the Nazi cake. He's interesting when he talks about this because he was asked about this during the, the town hall. And the way he says it is that he does not want to help bring into law, like a new law that would change the state of things. So he understands that the, the current state of the law is this, right, that these, there's these anti-discrimination laws that prevent businesses from discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation, religion, and all these other things. And he thinks it's bad to, when, if you're in business, he thinks that's bad for a business person to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or religion and other things. And so therefore, he as president doesn't want to change the law in any way from what it is, because the law, the way it is right now, reinforces his moral worldview. That's the way I understand Johnson's position. It is not good, right? Because it's not moral 
to force somebody else to do something against their will. Uh, but Johnson says, well, it's not, you know, I mean, and, and the way he seems to be thinking about it is, well, I'm not forcing them. I'm just refusing to remove the force. But Johnson, if you're president and you have the ability to remove the use, the initiation of force from somebody and you don't do it, and you're going to try to say, well, it's not me. It's just the existing state of the law. That's not a great answer, right? Uh, he also adopts a, you know, keep with the existing state of the law on a good issue, which is abortion. I believe that a woman should have a right to choose an abortion. I happen to think in terms of morality that the abortion should be used very sparingly uh, and that there are some cases where abortion would be legal. And I, you know, in my ideal legal scheme, abortion would be legal, but nonetheless, I would think it was immoral to do that. Uh, but what Johnson decides he's going to do is he says, well, look, what's the state of the law right now? Casey versus Planned Parenthood, the uh, current state of the law is that you want to uh, allow a woman to, or you want to protect a woman's right to abortion, right to choose abortion up until viability. And viability is defined as being able to survive independently outside the womb, either with or without medical assistance. He says, well, that's the current state of the law. I believe in upholding the current state of the law. And okay, it's nice for him that he happens to agree with the current state of the law, but that's not a philosophical argument. And again, you know, the fact that he doesn't want to change the law doesn't keep him necessarily blameless for what goes on. Uh, if there's an issue of a violation of rights. I happen to think that current state of the law is actually pretty good too, but we could make an argument for it as well, having to do with when does uh, you know, a being become an individual with rights and everything else. Morally speaking, just for me, for people who are curious, you can get all the genetic testing that you need super early in a pregnancy now. There is no reason to wait to abort. Now, there are some freak cases, right, where things happen mid-pregnancy that aren't genetic defects, but there's something horrible that happens that would result in horrible debilitating birth defects. So I can understand. But in most cases, you can get all the information that you need to know about whether you've got a healthy, viable pregnancy very, very early. And you can do a very early abortion and, and keep it quite you know, what I would say is, is, a, is a moral thing. Other people would disagree with me. Some people think that life begins at conception. We can have that debate. But I would say maybe life-like processes begin at conception. Uh, processes associated with human life do begin at conception. But when do rights begin? Rights begin when you have an individual. And that's the the way that I go it. <laughs> Herman the Sherman says, finding out in week 20 that your child is the Antichrist. Yeah, that would be... <sighs> original sinish and of course as objectivists we don't believe in any sort of original sin certainly not for innocent little babies that don't even have a, a character yet right um so what other bad things are there about johnson uh johnson thinks or at least he talks this way right and he's kind of vague about this he says government can help to create equality of opportunity but you know when i in my mind, think about government creating equality of opportunity. I think of all kinds of horrible ways in which government might initiate force upon people in order to create equality of opportunity. And when he was, you know, elaborating on this 
a little bit more in the town hall, it didn't sound as bad as it kind of sounds at, you know, on first glance. And the thing that he talked about was that all this legislation would be presented to him as governor when he was governor of New Mexico. And in a lot of the legislation, he was seeing that people were asking for special favors from government, that they were asking to be given more opportunities than their fellow man because they had lobbyists that could get the assemblymen or whoever in their state legislatures to write up this piece of legislation. And so Johnson was saying, in, in effect, that he's anti-crony, anti-cronyism. And if you're anti-cronyism, of course, there's going to be more equality of opportunity. You're not going to let people be able to use government to make it easier for them to do business because it's, you know, government's going to eliminate their competition by means of force, et cetera. So if that's what he means by equality of opportunity, I don't have a problem with it. But if you say, okay, well, uh, you're going to use government force to actually supposedly create equality versus just leave everybody free to succeed or fail on their own merits, it's, it's a different story. So what does that mean to him exactly? I would like to press him a bit more on it to, to see if he would answer that question. Uh, and then finally, they do talk about so-called restructuring or even cutting to a large extent entitlement programs like social security. So for example, he talked about raising the eligibility age for social security. Nonetheless, Johnson firmly believes in maintaining some kind of government so-called safety net and he would never personally eliminate those programs. I don't know specifically about Weld on that. So, um, uh, Arjun, they're t- talking in the chat room about government funding of abortion. He says, if the government funds medical anything, they should fund abortion as well so as to not embolden theocracy. I guess I would agree with that. Of course, if you're a libertarian, you don't believe the government should fund medical anything. And Johnson, he doesn't really emphasize it that much. It was funny because he kind of just said a few comments on the side during the Reason Magazine interview, I believe it was. Um, he, you know, he's saying he believes essentially in a free market in medicine. And he sees Obamacare as furthering the same sort of horribleness that I see. He describes it the same way which is that we're buying so-called insurance, but it's not really insurance, right? What we buy now is not medical insurance. Insurance is something that you buy typically to uh, offset the risk from catastrophic losses. So your house burning down or you getting a horrible disease like cancer or something like that. And what Obamacare has forced us to do is to purchase something that's called insurance but is really prepaid health care of a certain way. It's like we're using, you know, and he talks about, Johnson talks about that we're using insurance to pay for our ongoing health care needs. And instead we, we should be paying for that stuff out of pocket and we should have insurance that is truly insurance. It's just catastrophic. And he thinks, I think he thinks that health care would be, I think he said one-fifth the cost in this country if we started thinking about it as a pay-as-you-go as opposed to what it is now, which is all of this pay in advance and filter it through the huge bureaucracies of insurance companies. 
And yeah, Tim Peck in the chat room, he says, health insurance is a payment system. Yeah, that is all it is. And it is getting costlier and costlier. In fact, if you do go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, I have a link and I saw it posted by Ted Cruz on, on Facebook. And it talks about how Obamacare, the, the way they put it, Obamacare is failing just as the critics expected it would. When they say Obamacare is failing, I think, again, the architects of Obamacare, the people who pushed it through, they would not call it a failure. They would say that it is doing exactly what it was designed to do, which is destroy the health insurance market and push us further and further towards a system of single payer. Because right now, depending on what happens this fall, there may be tremendous pressure to move to entirely universal health care system based on the fact that the premiums are going up. I'm just, I'm scared to see what my insurance premiums are going to be next year. They already went up substantially this year from last. And I think I had to downgrade my policy in order to maybe have only a 12% increase in my premiums. That's ridiculous, right? So you end up paying a whole lot out of pocket, even though you're paying hundreds and hundreds a month for health insurance already. It is ridiculous. So, um, yeah, they should get rid of Obamacare. ASAP says Arjun in the chat room. I believe, I, I agree. I think that Johnson Weld could do that as well, but, you know, they haven't campaigned on it the way that Ted Cruz did. I love the fact that Ted Cruz repeatedly, and he, he still goes out there, like I said, in conjunction with this news story that I shared with you on the blog at don'tletitgo.com, in conjunction with that news story, he again reiterated his goal to repeal Obamacare, that there should be a full repeal of Obamacare. None of this repeal and replace with Trump. What would Trump do? He would replace it with something that would still have a mandate because we know he, he likes the mandate. He believes in the mandate. I don't think it would be that different from Obamacare. So, Anyway, so I have it, I've said the negatives about Johnson Weld. Let me talk a little bit about the positives of Johnson Weld. He, they, they want to promise to eliminate the IRS. You know, again, this depends on them being able to get this through, but they want to eliminate the IRS, replace the current income tax with a fair tax, a consumption tax. I agree with them that this would be a much more ethical way to do this. You know, Rand wrote that the elimination of involuntary income taxes would be one of the last political things that you would try to accomplish. So, you know, involuntary taxation is going to be with us for a while. If you're going to have it, you certainly don't want to have the IRS, which is used to bully people based on their point of view right now. Uh, the tax code is this behemoth thing that changes all the time and is used to nudge people in one way or the other to, you know, encourage them to behave certain ways. Um, they want to eliminate that IRS and they want to tax consumption as opposed to income because income, what can you do? Income, you can save and invest it or you can buy stuff and consume. And Johnson Weld say, let's tax only the consumption part of, you know, your income, whatever you actually spend and consume. And I think that's a, a much better way to go if you have to have involuntary taxation. You know, again, I think it's immoral for government to point a gun to your head and take your money. It is. Taxation is theft. But that's going to be one of the last things that we're going to achieve on the road to having a government that protects individual rights. So 
this is a, a good step in that direction, I would think. As long as they can do it correctly, make sure that the income tax doesn't end up rearing its ugly head again, uh, you know, a future Democratic administration or something. That would be horrible if that happened. Uh, they pledged to submit a balanced budget within the first 100 days of taking office. And the way they describe that is that would involve 20% cuts pretty much across the board. I've heard Johnson in the past talk about needing to cut 24, I mean, not 24, 40%. I think 40% he used to talk about. So how it is 20% right now, maybe the budget isn't as out of whack as it used to be. But yeah, 20% pretty much across the board. But again, they are perfectly happy doing an extra uh, expense for something like this. I think they said a thousand person intelligence task force specifically geared towards rooting out the threat of Islamic terrorism in our country domestically. Weld is very no-nonsense when he talks about that. He's very convincing and reassuring when he talks about that. So, yes, they do want to cut, but they don't think that they need to reduce the effectiveness of our military, and they don't think they need to leave us defenseless in other areas because of that as well. Uh, They would not increase restrictions on the ownership of firearms, at least not restrictions that are based on the type of firearm itself, assault rifles. You know, maybe you could see them if there was an actual principled way to determine, you know, certain types of people based on risk of doing harm that shouldn't be gun owners, but they really are hands off on that. They want to, and, you know, again, sometimes they will, you've seen Johnson do this a couple times where he says, I'll just stick with the current state of the law. I'm not going to change anything. And sometimes the current state of the law should be changed. And maybe, you know, Johnson believes in free speech. So let's try to convince him that it needs to be. He would legalize marijuana um, and only marijuana, none of the other drugs at this point. He just all he wants to do is he says he wants to deschedule marijuana as a class one narcotic. And if you watch the town hall, there was an interesting exchange between Johnson and a woman I forget her profession exactly, but she was from Colorado and she was talking about the fact that there are different types of marijuana and there's a marijuana that has proven to give a lot of help to kids who suffer from seizures. And so, for example, I mean, I'm just kind of making up numbers that are, you know, representative. Uh, Suppose a child had 300 seizures a week. Apparently this is a real case. A kid had 300 seizures. And then if you give this one type of marijuana, then they could reduce it to 30 or something. So 30. That is a substantial reduction. It's a substantial increase in the quality of life for that child. And apparently that can be achieved on what they call low THC marijuana. However, The type of marijuana that I guess is out there now, I wouldn't know because it's been forever since I tried it. Um, So whatever's out there now, I have no idea. But they say it's really high THC marijuana and that this is actually dangerous and it's particularly dangerous to children. It is harmful on their brain development. So they're concerned about regulation, right? Because a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, and, and it actually is the case, and Johnson was talking about this, that you could give the THC marijuana to that same child and you could further eliminate those seizures by another order of magnitude. So then maybe now it's only two 
a week versus 30 a week. And that's a substantial drop again. And then the question is, do you think that it's worth it to give THC to a kid to get that reduction in seizures? Is this a place where government should be involved or not? Is it dangerous for government to just suddenly legalize marijuana when there's all this high THC marijuana out there? Uh, one thing that Johnson, I guess, was didn't really know is that there apparently have been some deaths due to marijuana of this high THC content. And so then what was his answer to the woman? I mean, they had this exchange for a while. He says that what could happen if you deschedule marijuana as a class one narcotic is that these studies could be done about the dangers of the THC and all of that. So, um, yeah, they said it should be legal so that you could experiment and figure this out. Um, and Arjun says, yeah, alcohol is not as bad as THC can be. Yeah, so if it is legalized, right, um, then you would definitely want to be careful. Don't go out there and go totally crazy with the stuff. Um, Ed in the chat room says that the seizure issue is no longer an issue as the FDA has just approved the THC capsules for therapeutic use. It was done by the FDA to, FDA to head off the movement toward marijuana legalization. Well, Ed, as I understand it, the things that are being used standardly are some sort of an oil or something that's a marijuana derivative that doesn't have the THC, that that's the stuff that's, you know, traditionally used and safe, but that people are tempted to use the ones with the THC and they shouldn't be using it on the kids. That was the thing that I understood. Uh, I'm not sure if actually this is going to be Ed on hold or not. I've got someone on hold. I'm going to take the call. Hi, who's this? Hi, it's Harold. Oh, it's Harold. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize the uh, the area code. How are you, Harold? Very good. I tried to call them last week. Um, just one sentence on the drug stuff, and then I want to talk politics. Sure. Um, CNN had a, had a whole um, program on it a while ago. The two elements in, in the marijuana, C, CBD, which is right. the part which treats um, epileptic fits. That, that's THC. what it was. I, I didn't remember. Sorry. That's right. CBD. Uh-huh. And the THC is not the good part. When they went to make their medication, they found a drug dealer who had a whole supply of marijuana he could not sell because it had low THC and high CBD. So they bought it from him, took it to the lab, and had the drug made for the kid, and it totally eliminated all the seizures. Nothing to do with THC. Okay, so Johnson might even be wrong on that in terms of the effectiveness of THC against the seizures because the way they were describing it was you could achieve a substantial reject, reduction with just the CBD, I think you called it, and then if you added the THC that you could get a further reduction. But you're saying, no, you can get all the reduction no. that there is available with just the CBD. Johnson's not a scientist, so yeah. find, find out from the experts. He's not an expert. Sure, sure, of course not. But, you know, he does seem to be well-read. You know, he's citing articles and things like this. But, okay. you know, again, he was he was ignorant about whether there had been deaths due to THC. There had apparently been some deaths in Colorado after legalization because of high THC marijuana. Yep. All right. On the, pol on the political issue, I'm looking at this, and we've gone through – I mean, I'm thinking about where we've gone the last 30 years. I take the really – you know, 50,000-foot view of the whole thing. We've gone round a circle, and we've come back to the same point, and we're losing altitude. That's all I see that's happening. And are we going to go around that circle again for another 30 years and lose more altitude? I mean, we've had, we had Bob Dole, we had John McCain, 
we had Mitt Romney, and loser, 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 and we just keep going round and round. So it's not going to be taken care of in one cycle. We don't have to fix this in one cycle. What I'm looking for is continual improvements over three or four election cycles. So if the libertarians, you know, they've been lost in the desert for like 45 years, they've been wandering around, maybe they'll find their way out, who knows, (laughs) Uh, you know, or maybe they'll do it again. Um, If they can get organized and they can go from the one million where they've been stuck forever, if they can break out of that, get two, three, five million, I'd say, fine, we're going somewhere. And then the next election cycle, they need to get to 10 million. And right. this has to happen over three or four election cycles until they get the 65 million that you need to be president. And I, I just don't see myself getting excited and, and like, oh, it's got to be done now. We've got to get this one in because we've got to stop that one. None of that's important. What's important is to have a clean core that we can build on and go from cycle to cycle and keep adding to it. I have yet to see any faction of the Republican Party break away and join the Libertarians or the Democratic Party. That's what I'm looking for, a sign, something that something that shows me this is real. Um, You know, something something scary that I heard about on Facebook earlier today is that there's apparently something called. Republicans for Hillary Clinton and uh, Dan Bongino, you may know him as a, I think a commentator has been on Fox news and stuff like that. He used to do um, secret service, I I believe. And and so then he was familiar with the former president Clinton's campaign, or maybe even I think Hillary's earlier campaign or something when she lost, I think is what maybe what he's familiar with. Um, And he has a Facebook Live video that he put out there talking about how insane it is for Republicans to support Hillary Clinton because they want to oust Trump. But this has been the strategy of some of the Republicans. They're going to bolt and they're going to vote for the egalitarian nihilist Hillary Clinton. It's disgusting. Why not go for Johnson? I don't I don't get why these people don't do that. I have I have a foreign political analogy that that fits this perfectly. Uh, you know there was an election in South Africa two days ago, right? I don't know if you've heard about it. The results are out. The opposition did very well. They've been they've been growing over the last four or five election cycles. Every time, a little bit more, a little bit more. They picked up three major cities. I mean, this is, this is local elections, so it's not it's not a national election. Mm-hmm. But what happened back there? They had the old the old United Party, which was sort of running the show, and then and then. 1948, they got independent, sort of, and the National Party came in. These were the pseudo-Nazi apartheid types. And the the old uh, United Party were not opposing them. They were not standing in the way of apartheid. They were sort of just hanging out with them, schmoozing, you know, doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And a small faction broke off there, and they started what was called the Progressive Party. They were going to stand against apartheid. Well, they all got wiped out in the first election except for one member, Helen Sussman. She's famous. And she stood alone against them for decades, and eventually little factions started breaking away and joining her. And now, as of, as of yesterday, they got uh, 8 million votes. So anything's possible, but it can't all be done instantly, and this, this instant gratification thing is just totally not suitable for building a political party. No, exactly. And and I don't know what they think that they're going to do. You know, it's so funny. People talk about the fact if you were to vote for Gary Johnson, that somehow 
you are voting for Hillary Clinton, right? Because you're taking away votes from Donald Trump. And I've got a Facebook friend who puts this out publicly so I can talk about it. Arthur Zay, he says, a vote for Donald Trump takes away votes from Gary Johnson and is therefore actually a vote for Hillary Clinton. I mean, really, this is um, it's ridiculous the way people are doing this. Yeah, they, you know, don't waste your vote on a second class candidate. Vote Johnson. Well, well it, Trump, why Trump not? is all Trump is all talk. Look at look at his history. Remember, he was going to build the tallest building in New York City. Never did it. He was going to help um, Larry Silverstein rebuild the World Trade Center, put it up, the Phoenix Project, put it up bigger, stronger, taller, more beautiful. Never happened. Nothing ever happens with Trump. He's all talk. Right. Yeah, I know. So I have, and and I, I, I and I I think I think people. I mean, first of all, the Republicans are already having buyer's remorse. The Republican Party itself in terms of, you know, how he's conducting himself as a candidate, I know the Americans, if we were to elect him, would have horrible, horrible buyer's remorse. Right. Well, Johnson is at 10% in the polls now, 14% in New Mexico. But is it going to be a one-cycle phenomenon and then they drop back down again? That That's not going to be good. It, I would be quite happy getting on the phones and calling for a little capitalist party, even if we only do very poorly, and starting, I would feel totally comfortable talking to people. I know exactly what I'm going to say. When I made a few calls for Ted Cruz, I wasn't really comfortable talking to the people. It's like I wasn't on the same page as them, especially on the whole abortion thing. I, I didn't know what to say. Right. I didn't feel comfortable. It's just not a, not a natural match. No. So I would like to see Cruz's faction break away, join the libertarians, merge their ideologies, do something, get organized. But... I mean, for him to run on his own in 2020, it's, it's going to be the same thing. He'll get 30% again, you know, same same story. It's going to be a recycle. We're going to go around and around the circle. Well, I hope I hope that's not the case. Do you, so what's your prediction? Do you think that Johnson Weld are going to get the 15% they need to get into the debates? They're at 10% right now. Okay. So I don't know. It doesn't look so good, right? They're at ten percent. The peak that they have in the country is is New Mexico, Colorado. That's where they're at their maximum at ten to fifteen percent. That's the best they've they've done. Even the East Coast, they're not going to do well. They may do well very much in the mountain region where you know, Montana and all that, where people are a lot more libertarian. Like where Cruz was picking up all his votes out in the right. West, I expect the libertarians to do well in those areas. Did you did you see this poll, Harold, the one that Johnson talked about in the Reason magazine interview that I was I was citing? There's this poll of military people and I think it was 3500 yes, either active or former and and so basically it's around 39% overall. 39% overall favor Johnson Weld as their ticket with 31 for Trump and then something small like 12 for Hillary or whatever overall. And then uh, as high as 44% support Johnson Weld out of Marines. The Marines themselves. I saw saw that poll. It was actually higher numbers than that. The lowest numbers were the Navy, which were more status quo, and they support the current political establishment. I am so not surprised. I am so not surprised. The Navy, the old old branch of the military that was so anti-liberal and so fanatical, you know, the Navy was, was like the most, uh, if you wanted to suffer from persecution, go into the Navy back in the 1920s, you know, and be treated badly. But the, the other more modern branches of the armed services seem to have a much progress, more progressive policy, and they seem to be doing much better among the libertarians. 
So, yeah, the, the libertarians have a majority in all branches of the armed services except for the Navy. And I hate it when Cruz stands up and he always leaves out the Coast Guard. Every single time he does that. Mm. You know, now, I don't, mentions... I don't know that Johnson mentioned the Coast Guard, though, either. So Yeah, it always, yeah. It always, it always tweaks me the wrong way because that's the fifth branch of the armed services. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Um, anyway, I'd like, before I'd like, yeah, I'd just like to see us start building something. I'm not talking about the objectivists. I'm talking about countless political people out there on mm-hmm. a totally independent basis to start building a core uh, party little by little. Every single, every two years we can build a little bit more. And Capitalist a little bit more. Party 2020, you know, maybe we need I like the a name. candidate. I, like, I, I love the name, although capitalist is four is four syllables you know maybe we just need something really short i i can't even think what it could be anyway um thanks for the time i I appreciate being on your show thanks for calling in again harold and we will talk again of course as this election season rolls on i'm sure i do got another call here i think this one might be ed actually is this ed hey yeah hey how are you hey I, I'm, I'm fine. Hey, I didn't want. I, I I've been in and out, unfortunately, because I've got some things to do. But I I read the other day that uh, Johnson embraced the Black Lives Matter group. Well, this is this Facebook. is what he did. did he, he actually missed it. Yeah. Well, he actually did say that Black Lives Matter taught him something that there is actually an issue of discrimination that if you have an encounter, that the statistic that he and Weld, I believe, both cite is that if you have an encounter with a, with a law, that you're four times more likely to be shot during that encounter if you are black. And yeah, that, I've been doing some reading on this, and that's just not true. The, the, the use of deadly force is disproportionately against, uh, against whites. But... The use of non-deadly force is disproportionately against blacks. So Interesting. The tackle you to the tackle you to the ground, the hit you with okay. a taser or a baton, the chokehold, like uh, Eric Garner. Now, I am no fan of uh, policing in the United States. I, you know, yeah. I tend to agree with you know the, the other Bradley thing though that but, um, the other thing um, they the talk about they're they're. Before, they're very they're very quickly to talk about the legalization of marijuana, you know, of uh, I guess, you know, I guess that would start the trend towards legalization of drugs, but somehow that's going to help deal with this problem. Uh, you know, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's you certainly the, it's certainly the case that the drug war is is causing the militarization of the police. I mean, mm-hmm. that's definitely the you know, that that's definitely the reason the the, the but whether legalization of marijuana is you know is is enough i don't think so because you yeah and I, I'm, I'm doubting it as well because it seems hard. like there's harder harder drugs in play there was just a freak story today a, a mayor of fairfax was selling meth or distributing meth or something it's ridiculous the drugs in this country <laughs> did yeah, you hear about I, that the mayor, the mayor of my own city no, no, I did not hear about. You have to go that. see the news story. I saw a headline. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy." Yeah. Yes, I'm not one of his customers. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, glad so to I, hear I, that. I think, you know, I, I think if you, you know, systematically dismantled the, the drug war, I think you would have 
an effect on crime. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I obviously not a person who does drugs, but, um, you know, the weird thing about it is right now, is like, if I, if I desperately wanted to get some drugs right now, the only people I, I would know to go to, to get drugs are, are some of my friend's kids in high school. I mean, they're the ones who have the conduit to the drugs. Right, <laughs> so right. This, this idea that the drug war is actually working to help drugs away from kids. I mean, that's, if you wanted drugs, that's the only people you, who, who'd know how to get them, you know? I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, uh, so it's, you know, it, it's crazy. And so I'm not a fan of policing, but, you know, if you watch some of these uh, YouTube videos of the Black Lives Matter protests where they march down the street and, and chant, kill the pigs, kill the pigs, kill the pigs. Oh, no, this is, this is, no. this is horrible. Yeah, so, so Johnson's, Johnson's definitely pandering way more than he, as a politician, should uh, to this, yeah, I think. So I, 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 I agree with that. So that's, that's, that's definitely a, a negative. Um, let's, let's say a couple positives here. One is they are going to, if, you know, again, all this has to be politically feasible, eliminate the Federal Department of Education, which I think is a huge, awesome step in the right direction toward getting government out of education entirely. That's something that Ted Cruz would have done if he comes in. I'm pretty sure that uh, Trump would not do that. And um, the other thing is that during the Reason Magazine interview, uh, Johnson actually referred to Edward Snowden as a hero whom he would pardon. And he was saying that initially, you know, when the revelations came out, he was worried that Snowden was being irresponsible and he was going to put you know, our American intelligence and other people in harm's way by doing this, even though all of this, you know, these programs, the, the government programs of, of collecting all this data on Americans, th- those should be revealed, Johnson thinks. But he thought maybe Snowden was doing this irresponsibly. When he saw that Snowden had taken all of these steps in the way that he released the data, even though it wasn't perfect, he said, nonetheless, he thinks what Snowden did is heroic and he would pardon him. So I think that's wonderful. They also have great, you know, Internet freedom and privacy policies as well. It actually says on the issues thing, get a warrant, right? So, yeah. um, I, th- I think no, I, like those... that. I wouldn't pardon Snowden though. I mean, I, you know, and that's, I'm certainly not in favor of pardoning Snowden. I, I think that there could be a plea bargain involved. Uh, so you'd, you'd give him some kind the, of a the, generous plea bargain, but not a pardon. Yeah. A couple of years in jail, something like that. And because he, 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 he both did something good and something really bad. What if, so, uh, what if what if you give them the plea bargain, but you say, okay, well, living in Russia for this time is probably, you know, in lieu of your sentence. Because <laughs> nobody I, says he doesn't want to live there, and I, I would agree. I, I wouldn't really want to live in Russia myself. No, I don't think anybody would want to live in Russia. Although, you know, the, the weird thing about Russia is, um, and, and the reason Putin gets away with much, much of what he gets away with is that Life for the average Russian is substantially better nowadays than it was pre-Putin. I think the GDP per capita has gone up like by a factor of three under Putin's nice. watch. Not all of that. Not all of that goes down. Goes to the the average Russian. Of course, a lot of it goes to the oligarchs who run the country. Um, but you know, you, you you can't not have a better life if the GDP per capita goes up by a factor of three. So that's kind of one of the reasons why Putin gets away with some of his BS because the people yeah. are like, yeah, from well, our perspective, things are better. 
Yeah, and and you know they're they're doing this uh, similar type of talk today about this so-called jobs report, right? Oh, everyone's so excited about this glowing jobs report, even though the labor force participation rate is still abysmally low. People can go check out those links at my blog at don'tletitgo.com that explain all this. But you know they're saying if we have a positive job jobs report, people are most likely going to elect Hillary because they'll just feel safe continuing the policies of Barack Obama under Hillary Clinton. Everything will be peachy keen, fine and dandy. That's scary stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the employment statistic, the, the top line employment statistics that are reported by the Department of Labor have been hacked for a number of years. Um, mm-hmm. There's a great book called e- Econo Spinning uh, by Gene Epstein, who is an editor at Barron's, that goes through exactly how the top line um, number, this is the only number that gets uh, reported in the media, has been has been Like the, the, the 4.8% or whatever that they're putting out there, right? Yeah, not, not, yeah. not just, not just under, under Obama, but under, under Bush, it really, and, and really kind of got underway um, at the end of Clinton. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, if you or I talk about the problem, but I wouldn't really trust any of the top line numbers. You have to sort of dig into the, the meat of the report. Like no, and, and that's the thing. Like speak. even, you know, there was, there was an article from Business Insider, I believe, and it said, that, you know, this is what you need to know about the jobs report. And the thing that I really wanted to know is what had happened to the labor force participation rate. In order to really get that focus, you have to go to CNS News. So I went ahead and put the link to, to that one as well. Do you have anything yeah. um, as, as more they, quick before they, I um, let you go? Uh, yeah, just one more on the job. Mm-hmm. If you look down, you find that the labor force participation rate for those over 65 is the highest it's ever been. That's scary. That. Yeah. Contemplate. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let you go. Have a good week. Thank you. You too. And we will talk again, I'm sure, as this election season zooms on and it's going to get, I think, crazier and crazier toward the end. Yeah, boomers are retiring, accounting for lower labor force participation. That's what they're saying, but I don't think it's just the boomers retiring, and especially with that statistic that Ed just cited, which I hadn't seen. That's a scary statistic to say that people over 65. I remember going to a doctor, um, you know, very well-respected specialist who should have been able to retire, and he was saying essentially he wasn't able to retire when he thought he was going to because of what had happened with the medical industry under government. So that's a really scary thing. Uh, let me get a few more things here before I, cause I want a couple more things on Johnson Weld and then back to the blog for some of the other program notes. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the fact that Johnson and Weld have said that they would handle the presidency as more of a partnership rather than have one person who's acting as president and totally in control. And then the other one is vice president. Um, that in fact that they would have not separate staffs even, that they would have a same staff. Now, that would achieve economy of scale to a certain extent too, which is nice. But the thing that you might find reassuring about that is that sometimes Johnson doesn't seem quite as sharp as Weld. And I noticed that Johnson was not as sharp in the CNN town hall as he was during the Reason Magazine interview that I had seen earlier in the day. My private speculation was that, you know, Johnson's this athlete, and I think a lot of people who are very athletic are kind of on earlier in the day so that late evening things are probably not the best. But as president, Johnson could arrange a schedule to do his 
heavy work earlier in the day. I, I don't worry about that. But um, Weld really seems sharp and knowledgeable. So that's an interesting thing to, to think about. Um, the other thing to think about with them is that they really don't portray themselves so much as libertarians. They always talk about the fact that they were Republican governors who were reelected. They were two-term governors in heavily Democratic states. So they're not pitching themselves as libertarians. If you vote for them, I don't see it as a vote for libertarianism per se. And I don't necessarily want to prop up the libertarian party. I would see this as the non-Republican, non-Democrat vote this time around, and that I'd be happy to transfer it over to something like Capitalist Party in 2020, but Capitalist Party just doesn't have a candidate right now that you can go and, and push and try to build on. So uh, Tim says that Weld seemed relaxed, comfortable, and in command of the facts. Yes, he did. I tend to really like Johnson, and maybe just because I've seen more of Johnson, I haven't seen as much of Weld. But maybe, you know, again, maybe I'll like Weld as, as time goes on. But I, I do really like Johnson, and as I emphasize in the news sandwich, you could not imagine that these guys, you know, Weld is very knowledgeable and smart and sharp and experienced with things like law enforcement, right? Um, and then, uh, you know, you've got Johnson, who he's got all the great executive experience and business accomplishments and athletic accomplishments and everything else. They are caring, concerned. Johnson does his best to stay well-read. He makes some mistakes sometimes. He's not deeply philosophical by any stretch, but I can't imagine that these guys would do things to leave Americans poor and defenseless, which is what Trump fans are worried about, that we're going to be left poor and defenseless by the immigration and foreign policy choices of these guys. And I just don't think that's the case. If you want to read more, uh, again, I would recommend going check, check out that news sandwich that I gave you and the links that I have within the news sandwich. You can learn even more, including a link that I have to a note written by a Facebook friend whom had met Johnson in person. He had met Johnson in person and, and writes about it. So check all that out. If you're interested in knowing more, of course, go read on Johnson Weld on their own site, the issues. There's a lot of good things to digest. And as we get closer to the election, you can decide whether you're enthusiastic enough to actually go to the polls and vote for them. For me, it's either I'm going to go to the poll and vote for them, or maybe I'll vote, you know, no candidate for president. If I do go to the poll, maybe I'll vote other things down the ticket, but maybe I'll stay home. If I'm not enthusiastic enough, we'll see how it goes. I would really like to see them get in the debates, though. That would be wonderful. Uh, just Jean says, I was kind of turned off by Weld when watching some of the Libertarian Convention, but I'm more and more impressed with him now. Yeah, there are some things in his manner, a couple things he says that turn me off a little, whereas sometimes I'm just disappointed with Gary Johnson, but it's not like I'm actually turned off, right? So we shall see. John Kenny wants to give Johnson diction and enunciation lessons from a Shakespearean actor. <laughs> he could get coached and that would be a good thing, I think, but they're starting to get more funds. Maybe they can use some of the funds that they raise to get coaches and things like that. If they get into the debates, that would be a great thing to see. So let's go back to the blog. Don't let it go.com. Let me just give you a quick highlight of some of the other things that are there. I'd already mentioned about, the jobs report. We do want to look at that issue of labor force participation. Labor force participation is slightly up right now, but 
it is nonetheless still quite low, and it's just been really abysmal under Obama. So this idea that you can celebrate and think we think we have this great jobs report that's just horrible. Uh, Obamacare failing exactly the way critics said it would. I would say basically Obamacare is achieving the ends that its architects wanted it to achieve. It's destroying the healthcare industry. There's an article, and it is from the Daily Beast. Was the London attack this week, that horrible knife attack that killed one woman and injured others, was it driven by terror or mental health? And a friend of mine who describes himself as uh, a Facebook friend, I haven't met him, um, he describes himself as a recovering journalist. He posed an interesting take on, on this issue that right now the journalists out there, the media, seem to have this false alternative. It's either terror, you know, ter- it's a terror is such a sloppy word. Why not just, is, you know, Islam? Why not just say Islam? Was it Islam or was it, you know, pro-ISIS support or you could say that too, right? Or mental health. It's just one of those two things. And I think the alternative that my, my friend uh, David Cohen was getting at, he didn't state it in this particular thread explicitly, but I think this is where he is. You know, there is such a thing that, that Islam actually does give, you know, a license to these people who have little mental health issues. If you want to learn more about Islam, then you can listen to that interview with Robert Spencer that I did years ago that I linked to at don'tletitgo.com. Um, I've only got about a minute, so let me just run down these quick. FBI agent apparently egged on the draw Muhammad shooter. You can check out that article. That's a tactical issue, and I'd probably want to know more about exactly what was going on and why that tactic was used. Um, I think next week I want to get on this. Wearing the Don't Tread on Me insignia could be punishable racial harassment. This is a free speech issue that we want to jump on, I believe. And then finally, I have a couple pieces of good news there. A bunch of mafia guys were arrested. There's a universal cancer vaccine that is on the horizon because there's been a genetic breakthrough. And a very interesting Walt Disney and Salvador Dali short film. They worked together and created this interesting short film that I think you'll enjoy watching. So again, go to don'tletitgo.com. Check out all the other notes. Those of you who called in and participated in the discussion, thank you. And I will talk to you at the same time next week, Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Have a good weekend, everyone.